Welcome to the Issues of Life podcast with Adam Davis, where each week we answer your biggest questions, offer a biblical perspective on the issues that matter most, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Hello and welcome to the Issues of Life podcast, and we are continuing our series on the deity of Christ. Last week we took a look at a very familiar but incredibly important passage of Scripture, John chapter 1, where we learned about Jesus Christ as the Word and the only begotten of the Father and, and several different things that we found there in that passage. And so today we're going to be moving on to Colossians chapter 1, the second of those chapters we mentioned last week that have some really important information for us about who Jesus is. And this is really a loaded chapter. And just even as Zach and I were discussing kind of what we wanted to cover in this particular episode, we found so many things that we could deal with. And so we're going to try to deal with as much as possible. But just to set you up for the conversation, we're in Colossians chapter 1, and Paul has just finished expressing what his prayer is for the Colossian people. And if you've read some of the daily devotionals that have been uh, posted in, you know, the last couple months about the book of Colossians, then you've got a little bit of the background. Paul's never seen these people, but he's heard about their faith and he's praying for them. And part of his prayer is that they would grow in their gratitude for what God had done for them. And, and that, that puts him on the subject of Christ, which seems to just kind of launch him into this whole um, extended explanation of who Jesus Christ is. It's almost a parenthetical section, but but it's not parenthetical because it is so crucial to the overall uh, concept of the book of Colossians. So with that in mind, we're going to jump right in, and we're going to be starting, I think, in verse 15 of Colossians chapter 1, and just kind of deal with some of these verses as they come. Yeah, in verse 15 it says, who is the in, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And uh, and we're talking about the Son, which if we look back in verse 13, is uh, is where Paul is, is continuing this conversation. He says, um, the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom... We have redemption in verse 14, and then also in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God. Now, that first phrase uh, really brings us back to what we talked about last week. Um, which verse was it in, in John 1 that we uh, that we talked about this? It said that, um, that Jesus Christ hath declared God unto us, right? Yeah, we were talking about the verse that says that no man has seen God at any time, or right. but the only begotten of the Father has declared him. And so we talked about the fact that no man has seen God the Father, but Jesus Christ reveals him to us. And this, right here in Colossians, is put even more plainly than what we saw there in John. He is the image of the invisible God. So we can see him clearly, though we can't see God because he is invisible. And then it follows with this second phrase, the firstborn of every creature, which again brings us back to a concept we discussed last week about Christ being the only begotten Son of God. And we learned that the word begotten means uh, unique. It means different. Um, one and only, yeah. The one and only, yes. Um, 
So what about this word? Is this the same thing? Is, is, does, does firstborn mean the same as begotten? No, it's, it's not the same word, and it's actually not even exactly the same concept. Like we talked about last week, these are some of the, some of the words and some of the passages that people try to use to undermine Christianity, because when we hear begotten and we hear firstborn, we think of it automatically in our earthly perspective of birth and family relationships. But it's not talking about, um, it's not implying that Jesus was born, because we understand that he always existed. But it's talking about his place and his authority and his privilege. Because in in their culture, the firstborn was the one who would receive the inheritance, the one who had all the blessings, the one who had all the rights and the privileges. And so when it calls Jesus the firstborn of all creatures, it's saying he's the one who is going to receive the inheritance. And there are other passages of scripture that talk about the fact that, that he's going to inherit the world and that everything has been given to him by the Father. And that's, that's what's being emphasized here. Not trying to say that there was a time when he came into existence because he was always existing, uh, like we learned in John chapter 1. His birth in Bethlehem was not the beginning of his existence. It was the beginning of his incarnation. He's taking on flesh. So it's a it's a common way of referring to the privilege of his status as the son of God. When we look at it like that, we understand that firstborn means, you know, he receives the inheritance. It, it makes sense with the context because in verse 16, it says all things were created by him and for him. So creation is for him. Uh, but that does bring us to verse 16. You know, we've looked at how he's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn, the one who um, inherits everything. But then also, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. So he is the creator of the universe. Yes, and we saw that last week in John chapter 1 in verse 3, when it says all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's confirmed here. Um, and I just think that's interesting because a lot of times when we think of creation, I think we automatically think of God the Father. Obviously, they were all involved in the creation. And in fact, when you read Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us make man in our image. So there is the idea that all were involved. But Jesus Christ, it's affirmed in John 1, Colossians 1, and again in Hebrews 1, he was specifically the, the creator of the universe. He, it was made by him and for him. So I just think that's something interesting that we keep coming across in our study of of these passages. I think that's interesting because when you think about the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I don't know. It it, it kind of gives you a new perspective on, on that verse. Like we already knew that God created the universe, but then to realize that Jesus Christ, who is who is God, who shares the essence of God, he is the one that the verse is talking about. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And that brings us to verse 18. Again, we're just walking through this passage because repeatedly here, Paul is just giving us some names, some identifications for who Christ is, and then they, they really change the way that we look at his um, deity. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. He is the creator of the universe. Come down to verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's an important word in this passage, preeminence. And a lot of what we've been seeing and explaining is really pointing to that concept. Christ is preeminent. Um, That means he is above all things, before all things. He is first, and there's no one beside him. Um, And that's really what the passage is trying to convey. And so we find that one word there, which is a good word to keep in mind. Verse 17, I think is interesting. Uh, We just read it a moment ago because it adds another layer. Not only is Christ the creator of the universe, he's also the sustainer of it. He's that force which keeps it all going and bound together. By him, all things consist. And that's an interesting concept. Um, And again, it says he's before all things. That's the idea of preeminence. And then he's the head of the body. So now we're talking about the church. We understand um, in a lot of Paul's writings, he we find this terminology, the church is the body of Christ, and we are all members of that body, and we have a vital role, but none of us are the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. The church is his. He paid for it with his own blood. Uh, the church is his body. The church is his bride, and he's the head of it. So we have leaders, we have pastors, um, but they're not the head of the church. And it's important for us to remember Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. But there's another interesting phrase here that incorporates the same word we already dealt with. It says he's the firstborn from the dead. So now there's another specific use of this idea of him being the firstborn. Um, What do you think that means? Well, if just reading it the way it is, I think of his resurrection. You know, he's the firstborn from the dead. So he is the first to have this new life. Um, as as a human, you know, he died. He, he took on flesh. He died physically. And then he came back to life. And then he received a, a glorified body as well. So I, I think of that. Yeah, so it's very specific because... You know, there there were other people who died and were raised back to life. Christ raised people in his earthly ministry. People were raised even in the Old Testament. But no one else had been raised in that manner, like you mentioned. He was raised back to eternal life with a glorified body, and he's the first to have that body, um, which we will have in our resurrection in the future. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul talks about the fact that we're going to have those resurrection bodies at some point in the future. But he is the firstborn of the dead in the sense that he's the first to experience that resurrection, the first to have that body. Um, And it's a promise to us that we will also experience that resurrection and we will also have that body, but he's the first. Yeah. And unlike the other ones, the other people that he raised from the dead, they died again. Yes. Christ never died again. So he is, he stands apart in that sense. So uh, again, firstborn, not dealing with physical birth, but dealing with a specific aspect in which he is first <laughs> and foremost. In verse 19, it continues, says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So 
verse 19 brings up an interesting phrase, I think. It says, in him should all fullness dwell. And I think there could be many ways that we could take that, but what do you think that Paul's trying to say? And this is important for us to understand in in the context of the of the overall book. Um, Paul, again, we said he's writing to a group of believers he had not met, and he's expressing concern for them because they believed the gospel, they were saved, and they immediately started growing and growing fast. But unfortunately, false teaching started to be popular among them at the same time. And so that's why if you read in chapter 2, he wants them to be rooted and grounded. Um, he wants them to to not be moved away from you know the hope of the gospel. He wants so badly to be there to help them through this difficult situation, but he can't. And so he's encouraging them with this truth. One of the one of the teachings that was becoming popular at the time, though it may not have been known by this name then, uh, would eventually become known as as Gnosticism, which was a very popular first and second century, you know, cultic kind of religion. And their whole purpose was to obtain special knowledge. That was their form of salvation. And they believed that there was this dichotomy between flesh and spirit. And the one was evil and the one was good. And so one of the things that they would have claimed was that Jesus Christ couldn't be divine because he took on flesh. And so there was all kinds of false teaching that was being popularized as a result of this. And so they said that Jesus was not fully God, that he was uh, an expression of God, but was not fully God. And one of the terms that they kept using in their religion was the fullness. That was kind of one of the names for their for their deity, the fullness. And so Paul takes that terminology that they would have been familiar with, and he uses it in his explanation and defense of who Jesus Christ is. And what he's saying is within Jesus Christ dwelled all the fullness. In fact, this is exactly what he'll say in chapter two. This is how we know exactly what he means here. In Christ dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So here is all the fullness of God, all the divinity, the divine essence of God in a human body. And and God was pleased to do that. This was God's plan and it was exactly what he intended. So that's what he's saying. He was pleased that in him should all fullness dwell, the fullness being the fullness of, of the Godhead, the fullness of divinity and deity. So that's, that's what verse 19 is referring to. And uh, the fullness being, again, a concept that, that was being popularized and misused. And Paul takes the terminology to help them understand that Christ was all they needed. They didn't need some kind of special secret knowledge. They didn't need any rites and rituals that, that either the Gnostics were enforcing on them or the Jewish people were enforcing on them. They didn't need any of that. They only needed Christ. They were complete in him. And if we remember that as we read throughout the book, it'll help us. Uh, let me, I'll say one more thing about this verse, then we can look at verse 20, which is a good place to end. But you might have heard us talk about or even write about the fact that Ephesians and Colossians are, are known as twin epistles because they're written at about the same time and cover a lot of the same material. And if you read Ephesians, it's all about being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ and a part of the body. And Colossians, though it has a lot of the same emphasis, has a specific emphasis on the fact that now that you're in Christ, you're complete in Christ. And those two themes go together so well. 
And that's why Paul is here spending so much time explaining who Jesus Christ really is. Because you can't really understand your completeness in him and your identity in him until you first of all understand who he is. And so he's given us a very thorough explanation, leaving no doubt that Jesus Christ is preeminent, he's sufficient, he's all we need um, for our salvation and beyond. And that's what Peter was trying to say in First Peter, right? When he says that um, in Christ we have all that pertains to life and godliness. Yeah, he's given us because we're partakers of the divine nature. That's what he says. We have all that that's necessary for life and godliness. We're complete in him, as Paul says it, and we have everything we need. So verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So here we kind of come back to where Paul began with his whole extended explanation of Christ because he started by talking about the fact that we were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We have redemption through him. We have the forgiveness of sins through him. And here he specifically talks about the fact that by his death, we have peace with God and that we are reconciled to God. And for that to have any significance, we have to first remember that that as, as lost sinners, we were at enmity with God. And if it weren't for the death of Jesus Christ, that's, that's where we'd be. But as Paul would explain it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, reconciled the world to God. He took care of, the, of what was between us. He paid the penalty, but he also bore the wrath of God. And God's wrath was satisfied. And so the world was now in a position where it could be saved because what was between us was dealt with. And now every individual just has to understand that and, and ask the Lord to save them personally. But he made peace through the blood of his, his cross, reconciling God and man. And that's just such a beautiful concept. And really, again, bringing us to the importance of, of this season, Jesus Christ came to reconcile. He came to bring peace the only way it was possible. That's the conclusion that Paul wants us to get to. I, I, I think that's why we're even having this discussion about the deity of Christ. The reason why Paul lists out, you know, he's the image of the invisible God, that he is equal with God. He's the firstborn of every creature, creator of the universe, because he holds the preeminence out of everything else. All that comes to the conclusion to prove that Christ is who we say he is. Christ is the Son of God. He is the Word that became flesh so that he could make this peace, so he could pay for our sins and offer us forgiveness. And he's the only one who could have done it, the only one with the qualifications to have, by his death, made that peace possible. No man dying for another man could do it, but because of who he was and is, his death made that peace possible. And that is all the time that we're going to have for this passage and for this episode. And I hope you've enjoyed looking at another passage that's somewhat familiar to you and just learning more about who Jesus is. We've got a couple more episodes to do in this series and we hope you'll join us for those. And again, let me remind you, we're excited about what we have coming for the future of this podcast. Big changes are coming at the very last day of this year. So stay tuned for more information and we look forward to having you back. 